Welcome to Rooted Light, a show that centers on the path of being human first in the divine play of life on earth. This podcast aims to explore the bridge between mysticism and what it means to be a modern day human who is devoted to full spectrum healing. I am your host, Melanie Custodio. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rooted Light. Today's podcast episode is going to be really, really special because we have a really wonderful woman who lives local to me here in Vermont. Uh, She lives on really sacred land and holds a really sacred space for medicine journeys and other lovely things that I'm sure we'll talk about. But first, I want to read a little bit about her. Her name is Bina Byrne, and she is a creative, energetic, compassionate, and evolving space holder and guide, idea generator, visionary, kundalini yogi, recovering executive, new paradigm business coach, psychonaut, eternal optimist, fire dragon, 2-4 mental projector, artist, human crystal, childless mother, temple priestess, storyteller, and medicine woman. Welcome, Bina. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me, Melody. Yeah, my pleasure. So I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit about who you are. That was like a wonderful bio. And it also, I think, leaves a lot of people like, oh, what does that mean? And <laughs> and so if you want to um, use your own words to share a little bit about who you are and the work that you offer, um, here's yeah. your chance. <laughs> yeah, hearing that bio, I'm like, it's all true. And also there's like a lot of space between the notes. Um, I'm mostly just like a regular person, like everybody else, you know, like flawed and trying to figure out how to be in this body and on this planet at this really, um, interesting time on earth. And, um, you know, the, the sort of path to my becoming has been spiralic and, um, is still kind of underway, you know, and so all of those sort of names and labels are fluid and moving and changing all the time, just like I am. But to kind of maybe bring it down to earth a little bit, I'll just say that, um, you know, I was um, conditioned from a young age to be like a pretty normal, um, conventional robot. I got a degree in economics and um, got married and divorced, lived in the metropolises of New York City and um, some other sort of pulsing <laughs> cities of the world um, and tried to make money and tried to be normal and tried uh, to do what we're sort of told to do. And I was like relatively successful at that in sort of like material and superficial terms, but really around the age of 40, just kind of um, arrived to the bottom of my waveform or my barrel. Like I just really realized that like there was a big part of me missing. There was a huge part of me that was uninspired, unactivated, disconnected, um, wounded, all the things. Um, And 
you know, that recognition kind of coincided with like this very humbling decade um, where I was really brought face to face with like a lot of my patterns and a lot of my failures and flaws and imperfections. And, you know, I arrived onto this land that is now called Rootstock um, right around the same time that I was kind of like getting really um, polished <laughs> by the world, um, tenderized. Um, and so, you know, all of those sort of um, titles and labels are really just like associated with me coming back into relationship with my own wholeness. And so, you know, the temple priestess is really about, you know, this place that I live is this like kind of living temple and it's my job to kind of tend it. Um, and the space holder, you know, it's like I'm here holding space for my own transformation and that of other people um, and non-people, you know, the forest and the community inside, the, the unseen community. Um, and all of it was really about just being able to sort of create a place in the world where I can be like safe and free to express myself, to take up space, um, to be perfect and imperfect, to be brilliant and clueless, um, to not have to sort of conform or comply but just to actually have like one place on the planet earth where I am like really welcome to be myself. And that has turned into the imagination farm that is rootstock. And a lot of what I do here is hold space for other people to come and be themselves. And um, that feels like the most important thing right now. So maybe mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit more tangible. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> it definitely does. And I can, I really actually enjoy how you, speak to all these little facets that you know you you called yourself a human crystal and in a lot of ways that is kind of what we are and that's what I've sort of learned as we start to uncover more of ourselves is this idea that we aren't one thing there are it, there is a multifaceted nature to all of us and also we can't cling really tightly to any one of those things that we have to sort of treat it very fluidly and try on different things in order to discover more of ourselves. And what you spoke to about the your past and how, you know, your lifestyle sounded like it was quite different than what it is now, it sort of speaks to that trial and error of like shedding the layers and finding more and more like who is this person and um, is it in alignment to our true nature. Um, so I actually do have a question on that. I wasn't expecting it to be one of the first questions, but um, uh, it does kind of fit into where we're going, which is you did live a really different lifestyle prior to, to living and beginning rootstock. Um, what did you learn from the other path, like the old version of you? Like what sort of layers had to come off? And what part of those aspects of you do you still hold on to that are still beneficial, that were always there, even through whatever your um, old executive self? And, and in what ways did you still need to shed and transform? I love that question. I was just talking about this with somebody here last night where um, he was kind of asking about my story and I was talking about it. And Every, I mean, one of the just kind of tangentially, like a lot of the work of 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 the medicine, like on the medicine path, is is integration, and and this idea of sort of shedding 
is very real and very true. And there are things that I've shed, but like the most kind of fundamental aspects of my character or any of our characters don't go anywhere. Like they may mature, they may sort of soften or they may get sharper, but like our sort of like the polarity of the good and bad, it's kind of all still here. And so I think I would say I'm, I'm very much the same as I was before you know, I was, but it's like pointing my energy at a different trajectory. Like instead of like looking at for like the bottom line or sort of like well-being or innovation of an institution or an organization, I like point that at the individuals that I'm with and, 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 and bring, use all the same skills to try to support them to both imagine and then also like have the courage to express their highest expressions of themselves. And so it's actually, a lot of the work is similar, you know, none of what I do here would have been even remotely possible with everything that I did without everything that I did prior. So, you know, being a solopreneur, um, having a very sort of dynamic business model um, that's required me, you know, all my skills um, from my life and business have been really necessary here. Um, how I was leading in the sort of muggle world um, is like also like plays a role here. Like um, my priorities have definitely kind of matured, right? And, and, and been refined in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I was working in the luxury fashion industry for 13 years. And at that time, you know, luxury for me was, you know, um, very fine dinners and long massages and spas and new handbags from Bergdorf Goodman's and all of that stuff. I still really appreciate luxury and I still live a life that like allows me to indulge and share it. But luxury for me has really arrived into like a much um, sort of more authentic expression, which is, um, you know, um, lambskins and um, maple from, from the farm down the road and maple syrup from my hill or my neighbors, you know, like wood fired hot water on a cold winter night. Um, things like that, you know, where it's like, I still kind of crave what I used to crave and I still have to work the way I used to work. Um, but it's more rooted in, in like a, a, a kind of authentic expression of myself. And it's more rooted in, um, things that are meaningful and sustainable, you know, how to actually be in the world as opposed to how to sort of escape from it. So I guess that's like one kind of dynamic that's, that's playing. I have definitely gotten nicer as I have gotten older. Um, and I think that, you know, early on, um, you know, a lot of the sort of programming and indoctrination into business and into big global business um, is, you know, pretty cutthroat and very competitive. And I definitely like climbed my way up. Um, and I think of like the Dr. Seuss book, Yertle the Turtle, you know, all the turtles like stepping on each other and Yertle stepping on <laughs> all of them. And I did a fair amount of that, you know, like I learned lessons all over people all over people for a while, like longer than I wish I had to, you know? And I think that that's probably like the biggest thing that's been shed, you know, is that sort of sense of competition or scarcity um, of feeling like there isn't like enough or that I need to somehow get what's mine. Like that has been shed completely. Um, and I think that's probably the most noteworthy thing of, of like really arriving into like a deep, sense of my own worth, my own value, the value of what I offer, um, not feeling like 
um, I need to market it or do anything except for just simply offer it, you know? And so I guess it's kind of a circuitous answer, but I wonder if that, <laughs> if that gives you a little something. <laughs> yeah. <makes> <laughs> I, there's so many directions to go, but I really liked what you said about how in ways I haven't changed at all. And in ways I've changed a bunch, you know, like um, there are some things that will never change and that I always had, and I'm not denying myself of that. And it makes me think a lot about, you know, the cosmic blueprint that you were given, right? Where, you know, you're two, four mental projector or I'm not sure exactly what your astrology is, but we're like given all these little things. And there are some default programs that are actually like given to us when we landed here on earth and we're like taught to kind of see, you know, work with the light aspect of it and also see the shadow aspect of it, but be able to work with it. Cause that's like part of us, like a part of you was ambitious and still is ambitious. It just looks different. Yeah. <laughs> my, my airy sun and my Virgo moon are like, have a way of being. And, you know, when you're a little girl and, you know, you're a mental projector and nobody knows what that means and you make sense through talking and you have to know what you think because you speak it. Um, you know, when the world is, is saying shut up or shut the fuck up or like you don't know what you're talking about and that's what's coming back again and again and again and again and again, there's this like wobble you know, that arise, uh, like arises into your character where it's like the most natural, most innate, most comfortable way of being is getting all of this kind of negative reaction. And so then there's this sense of like, well, okay, if being natural feels um, like unsafe, then what's the next best option? And I think that that might be like a good example of like what's happening on the planet earth right now, you know? And so to be able to sort of, um, be lucky and privileged and yeah, courageous enough, whatever to like have gotten myself into an environment where I could sort of like uncondition myself, decondition myself and, and, and come back into relationship with like, what even am I and what, and, and how am I meant to be? Um, yeah, you get a lot of, you gain a lot of compassion for your little self and you gain a lot of compassion for everybody. Um, who's yes. just trying, you know, <laughs> trying to be what they are, you know? <laughs> yeah. And in my experience, it's been like, I don't, I don't know if this is a universal sort of progression into sort of learning more about who you are, <laughs> but there's almost like a rejection phase of like, I don't like this part of me. I'm going to transform it. And then you're like, that's not me anymore. And then you're like, wait, no, it is. And it will always be. And I just like, the more I have awareness of it, the more I'm able to actually like utilize that in a, like a healthy way, just use using the ego and knowing that it's part of us and yeah, it will always be. It needs a seat at the table and it needs a cup of tea. <laughs> and I think like what you're describing and, and just how you spoke it is like central to, to the medicine work that I do here mm -hmm. and also the bathhouse, you know, it's like self-acceptance is a super highway to self-improvement. The sooner that you come into like a deep compassion, deep appreciation, deep understanding of the things that make you an asshole in the world, the sooner you're going to be able to start to have a little more agency in those reflexive moments. And so like a lot of the work that happens here 
you know, people come and they like want to kill their ego and they want to like, you know, exorcise this demon of, you know, impatience or whatever. And so, so often, like what we're doing is actually just like learning how to befriend it and recognize that like it has a role to play and it maybe needs like, maybe there needs to be like a reorg, you know, maybe there needs to be some like a shakeup in management. Um, but at the end of the day, like we're not going to like, let go of the fundamental parts of ourselves even the really yucky ones definitely yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so out of curiosity I read a little bit about you and you've lived in many places and you've had different roles um at what point in that timeline or (laughs) converging timelines however you want to look at it were you um did the door open for you to work with plant medicine? Yeah. Or, or spirituality in general? Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I've always been kind of like a, like a, like a brave girl. Like I've always been a bit of an explorer. Um, Some of that had to do with like a very turbulent childhood where there wasn't lots of supervision. So I was like liberated to kind of be in the world in ways um, that I got used to. Um, My first um, foray into cannabis and psychedelics, um, any sort of drug use at all, um, was, uh, around the age of 18. I was a freshman in college. Um, and you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a spiritual quest. It wasn't a conscious choice. It was a young, um, wounded, lonely, girl, um, finding community, um, with this group of people and finding like, um, adventure and finding, um, yeah, just like a kind of like new way of being in the world. That first trip changed every single thing about how I thought for the rest of my life. Like, I think I can attribute like some of my success in business and some of my success in life to coming out of relationship with certainty at a very young age. Like at a very young age, I became really clear that like, we don't know anything, nothing is certain, which means that anything is possible. And so like that seed was planted at 18. And like, I have maintained my relationship with psychedelics and I'm like now a 30 year psychonaut, um, meaning that I've explored lots of different materials, lots of different settings. Um, And again, like the first, you know, 20 years of all of that exploration was in like Grateful Dead parking lots or like, you know, tailgating at a fish concert or um, camping in the woods, giggling with friends. Like it wasn't um, intentional. And I ended up getting married to uh, a man that had a really kind of a heartbreaking drug problem. Um, and so there was a kind of pause in my life where I really had to re-relate to substances altogether. And so there was about an eight-year window where I didn't imbibe anything and was actively sort of in the Al-Anon community and trying to kind of understand how to be in relationship. I never had an addictive personality and never was endangered by my drug use. Um, but it was still like this kind of interesting juxtaposition of being able to sort of relate to it more um, completely. And then, you know, around the age of, um, 40, it was kind of like that humbling decade that I was talking about where I was really 
just suffering. I was just really not, you know, like there was a lot between me and love. There was a lot between me and peace. There was a lot between me and happiness. There was a lot between me and living. And a beloved friend of mine um, had come back from this place in Brazil. And I remember the look in his eyes and I remember his energy. And I remember feeling like really hopeful for him. And I happened to kind of like reach out to him and it's like, what was that place, you know? Um, and it was this um, really special place in the Southern tip of Brazil um, called Wasiwaska. Um, and this really incredible human named Luis Eduardo Luna has been, um, yeah, shepherding people <laughs> through this ayahuasca seminar for a very, very, very long time. And, um, and I went. And it was the first time that I was doing like therapeutic psychedelic work. You know, there's plenty of, of of journeys that I had that blew my mind, that made me think, that made brought me closer to God and brought me closer to spirit and energy and knowing. Um, but this was the first one where I really got to kind of like deeply integrate the 20 years of experience prior. And in those two weeks uh, in Brazil, like I did a lot of dirty work, <laughs> right? Like mm -hmm. it was really like I was ready to kind of confront the the pain and the shame and all the stuff and had a lot of incredible support to do it and so I did and it was really um then in 2017 that I um totally re-related to the medicine in a way and really um recognized that that 20 years prior even though it had been quite reckless and recreational and all the other things I think it was also keeping me alive on some level. You know, I think that like mm. those forays into mystery um, were, were nourishing the sort of like light being or whatever in me when I was like in these very conventional murky gigs, mm -hmm. you know? And so like without it even re realizing that it was sort of nourishing me and giving me life, it was. Um, but it was really after that, that time in, in Brazil that I sort of like, yeah, got to kind of like reflect back on all of those experiences where my ability to be under the influence of various kinds of medicine um, and still maintain a groundedness and still be the safe person that people could come to. I had all of these kinds of like, like this wave of remembering um, that I could kind of handle the medicine, that I wasn't afraid of the medicine, that I was like really able to inhabit the medicine space with a lot of curiosity and a deep receptivity, but also um, no fear. Um, and I think that that's a really, um, it's unique. And it's also like a pretty important ingredient in a medicine guide um, as somebody who actually has like truly navigated the space and like lived there for a while um, before sort of bringing other people in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say, it sounds like you we're already taken on that like path. <laughs> it just, it looked a little different than maybe um, you had expected it to go, but the fact that you were working with it for so long and sort of like this maybe more wounded place, you were able to really, I think, speak for a lot of people who've had that experience, who maybe their first experience with this type of medicine was, you know, at a concert or in a sketchy party or whatever it is, and that it can still also, you can... Yeah. And you can still have like a new relationship with it and a more um, reverent relationship with it as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So 
Okay. Now that we're talking more about the medicine, I have some interesting questions here. Um, so in this type of world, there's obviously a lot of different healing paths um, to help someone uh, uncover more of themselves, integrate their shadow, yoga, meditation, breath work, massage, talk therapy, body-centered therapy. You've sampled a lot of them yourself. Um, do you mind sharing your experiences with other paths and what do you think makes the mushroom really unique from others or maybe more resonant for some versus others? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think um, all roads lead to the same, like all paths lead to love. And so like, however you're going to get there, if it's a religion, if it's, you know, a physical practice, if it's a medicine practice, like ultimately, like it's like a path to the heart. Um, and so I think kind of recognizing that they're all sort of all the modalities are here to do the same thing, which is to kind of like help us be able to give and receive love to help us sort of be um, unburdened and unhindered by all of the hardness of the world. And with that in mind, you know, I think it really depends on the person, you know, I mean, Kundalini yoga, um, sound healing, um, crystal therapy, like I have like shamanic work, like, I, I have studied and also sampled like, every mode I'm, I'm a total like glutton and geek for like new modalities new experiences it's like um rather than getting on a roller coaster I would rather like go do family constellation therapy and like learn something and feel something yeah. so like I'm I'm really into that but I think you know as other people kind of navigate like how do I like what is the practice or what should I do I think a lot of it you know some of it is economic some of it is like sort of time and place based. Some of it is who is in your network, who's around you. You know, I think everybody kind of has to just sort of feel their way in. Um, breath is one of those things where it's like the ultimate. It's the easiest. It's the freest. It's the most potent medicine. And it's the one that everybody sort of arrives to last. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> it is. It's funny. Um, you know, medicine work now with, you know, thanks to Michael Pollan and Bill Richards and like the sort of Rick Doblin and sort of like the zeitgeist and sort of bigness of, of the new psychedelic renaissance feels new and sexy and fast and easy. And so there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, 20 years of therapy and six hours, like sign me up. Um, that's a lot of hype and a lot of nonsense, you know? And so I think some of it is like, you know, I guess whatever rings your bell is going to be the, the, the next right action. You know, like if you happen to stumble into a sound healing and the gong makes you clear your mind in a way that you never thought was possible, go sit with that gong some more, um, and see in that clear space, you know, what opens up for you. And if what opens up for you is some vision of like a condor or a mountain, you know, then like maybe, you go to Peru and maybe you drink ayahuasca um, with a, a legitimate, well, uh, like well, uh, I don't know, established high integrity practitioner. And then maybe there you realize that you have all of this kind of like 
unprocessed um, childhood trauma and you start to do some IFS work with your therapist in your neighborhood. And maybe that helps you understand a little bit more about your own desire to be in relationship with people and to help them heal. At which point you think about like, oh, okay, well, like what are some skills that I need to know? And then you enter into a shamanic apprenticeship and you learn how to pray. And You know, it's like, that's, it's like, I, <laughs> I think it's like quite a spiralic thing for people, but there's no, there's no, like, there's no one door and there's no arrival. And so I think, you know, all of it is good to get to your question about the mushroom medicine. Psilocybin is absolutely one of the most gentle and benevolent helpers that I have ever met in my life. Like of all of the support that I've received in my life as a person, I don't know if anything has held me as consistently and as lovingly as psilocybin. It's not like easy love. It's not like convenient, comfy love, but it is like unyielding love and it is always helpful. And I think for people that are either like just fritzed out on, on, on pharmaceuticals or social media or like, I don't know, alcohol, cannabis, pornography, Netflix, whatever, sometimes you need to kind of pierce through the, the noise <laughs> the noise and i think that you know the the mushroom medicine and and at least the way that i work with it here does have that sort of kind of grounding humbling capacity to like get your attention and then once your attention is sort of gotten where do you point it and that's where you know you can kind of pick lots of different modalities but i think it's a it's a really powerful tool right now for the for the lack of attention that people have and can maintain um, to be able to come, to have enough time still, to have enough time embodied, to have enough time sort of um, outside of material reality to actually have like a reset. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's powerful in that way. It doesn't fix all the problems, you know, it's, it's, it, you have to make choices when you leave the the retreat you know you have to make choices when you leave this hill that hold you in integrity that help you live into the promise of what you get here um, but it can sometimes for people that are really willing to, to to show up and meet it it can offer that sort of clarifying reset where then sound healing or yoga or talk therapy or shamanic work or tarot or whatever can then make a lot of sense yeah i yeah, I love the answer to that question. It's so, so true that they're really like once you're like made a commitment to better yourself in some way, there's kind of no wrong direction. <laughs> um, and to trust that the doors will open in exactly the right time for you. Uh, for me personally, I, I did not plant medicine I don't have a whole lot of experience with it and it was something I was really intimidated by and other modalities were more approachable for me and I think there are plenty of people who probably feel similarly yeah and I did end up having a mushroom journey experience a few months ago and I I the words you used, I I don't think I would have been able to articulate it any better in that sense of like 
fierce yet gentle sense of love, I it really blew my mind um, that even though like all of these other forms of healing have been extremely supportive for me in very different ways <laughs> also, that was just a whole different level that I can't even really put into words. Um, and one of the things that struck me about that experience was having a deeper sense and a deeper connection to, to earth and to mother. Um, and I know like for someone who maybe hasn't had a plant medicine experience would probably be like, what does that mean? <laughs> what exactly does that really mean? Um, and I'm curious, like what, what your thoughts are about that connection? Yeah, I, it's, it's beautiful to, to, yeah, to just sort of be invited into that. I think I, you know, I refer to a lot of what I do here is working with earth medicine and earth medicine is a very big umbrella, you know, um, certainly psilocybin is earth medicine. So is hot water. So is rainwater. So is flood water. Right. But like, I think um there's like the doctrine of signatures that people are kind of aware of right if a walnut sort of looks like a brain there's a good likelihood that it's gonna like yeah um when you think about the energetics of plant medicine and you think about how they grow in nature um the way that a cactus grows in the desert peyote or wachuma the way that ayahuasca and tracuna grow in the jungle the way that psilocybin grows here in the northeast right like they're, they all have like these different, very different sort of ways of, of, of being, um, you know, the, the mycelial, like, you know, mushrooms thrive where there's decay. They, they fruit where there's death and it's death medicine. And, and that can be really like uh, off-putting to people when I talk about underworld medicine or death medicine. And it's not like you're going to die, right? That's not very common at all. Um, but like what is common is that there's this kind of um, being brought down and in to like the mycelial truth of your life, maybe the fascia, right? In your body or your blood or your bones or your ancestry, where there's this opportunity to sort of like cull or prune or just molt aspects of your identity that are really no longer in service. And, and as that's happening, like there's this energetic quality of realizing that every death is also birth. Um, that like all of nature sort of has to move in that cycle. And I think part of the reason why people are sort of brought back into a sort of the arms of Pachamama or like a sense of love with the earth is that the mushrooms are in a very sort of visceral, embodied, direct way, bringing you into that life cycle. Um, you know, like you're having the experience of being composted and blooming you're actually, you know, and here at Rootstock, like, you know, I call Rootstock an imagination farm and it's a little organic homestead and there's gardens and orchards and um, permaculture and all kinds of things. Um, and it's like to have like as without, so within, you know, for people to be able to kind of see, oh yeah, like on October 31st, all of a sudden the gardens die, right? Everything is dead um, and it's totally okay. 
it's a relief. It's amazing, you know, like to have the journey work kind of mirroring that there's this awareness that we are also having seasons of our lives, that we are wintering and that we are um, blossoming and, and fruiting. And I think when you realize that that's sort of like the most primal and honest way of being a human being, it's impossible not to kind of find a lot of support and sort of teachers in the world around you. Like you feel held again because you feel like you're, it's like you're woven back into the family of things. You realize that you're not separate from it, that you are it, um, which I think really deepens compassion and um, yeah, kind of kindles connection again. There's also practitioners, you know, like myself, like a lot of my sort of prayer and a lot of the way that I'm holding the space is again, like really designed, it's architected to keep people very close to the elements here. Like it's a com really comfortable, luxurious place, but it's also very rustic and you're going to feel the wind and you're going to feel the night and you're going to feel the cold and you're going to feel the heat and you're going to see the compost and you're going to see that, you know, it's like. I, I'm sort of doing that on purpose to really help people have like the visual in addition to the sort of sensed um, experience of like what's actually happening. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so beautiful how it really is like such a, such a medicine of the earth, both literally and just spiritually. It's amazing. Yeah. Um. I also wanted to ask you some really basic questions because obviously we're not in the business to like peer pressure people into taking plant medicine. <laughs> like you, you, you should feel called to, to do it. Um, but as someone who not long ago was really perturbed by um, having an altered state of consciousness, I do think it's just some basic questions for people who are very new to this world. Yeah, great. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so what would you what would you say to someone? And I know you hold like question and answer sessions for oh. anyone who's listening and who's interested. Um, Bina does hold <laughs> Zoom sessions all the time for people who are curious. Um, but just to, for today's podcast, I think it's also good to ask some of these questions, which is, what would you say to someone who is fearful of letting go of control? And that's their biggest hurdle when it comes to this. That is like that fear and control are the two sort of most common um, struggles in, in, in the medicine space. Um, it's, I think, you know, we've been conditioned as a culture to believe that we have control. We've been taught, you know, um, that we can sort of like design and architect outcomes. We've been protect protected from sickness and death. We've been really enculturated in a way that has kind of created an illusion of, of immortality and also control. And so I think, you know, uh, fundamentally, like it, everybody likes to be in control. Everybody likes to feel like they um, have the rudder. And, and the desire to kind of let go of it, I think 
has to be, you know, stronger than the desire to hold on to it. I think if somebody really is in a place of deep fear of letting go of control, then, you know, psilocybin is not the starting point. You know, plant medicine isn't the starting point. Breath work might be the starting point for that person or some IFS therapy or maybe some shamanic like extraction work or some drumming or ecstatic dance. Like if, if, if control is like the grail and you're going to hold on to it at all costs, finding some safer, gentler ways to be able to kind of, um, yeah, move around that, get closer to the edges of where your fear and where your comfort is would be great. A lot of people come to me because they're ready to let go and don't know how. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there's a sense with plant medicine that like, okay, like, you know, Terrence McKenna, right, had kind of like his intense uh, um, sort of perspectives on it. And even Paul Stamets's sort of initial mushroom journey, you know, is like this epic lightning storm situation. It it doesn't need to be uh, like a traumatizing ripping away of control. Like it is possible to work with the medicine in very gentle, very loving, very like thoughtful ways to be able to give somebody the opportunity to kind of feel into, um, okay, what does it feel like to inhabit the medicine space? Get comfortable there, do I wanna go a little deeper? And so, you know, there are ways, whether it be microdosing, whether it be um, sort of like incremental or, or, or sort of lower dose macro experiences, there are ways to support people that are navigating that the moral of the story, like none of us actually have control. All of us are going to die period. And so the sooner that somebody who is sort of like paralyzed by their need for that can soften and like allow for a little bit of, um, just organic fluidity can allow for uncertainty can allow for flexibility, spontaneity, alchemical magic um the richer their life is going to be the the healthier their body is going to be and so i think you know like the person should really ask themselves like is this relationship with control serving me well or not and if the answer is it's not really serving them well then you know feeling into like if they meet a guide like me or somebody where they really feel a lot of coherence and resonance and trust wonderful like let yourself be held let yourself have an experience if you're not finding somebody that you really resonate with that you really feel like okay this i can humiliate myself in front of this person i can be really vulnerable in front of this person i can do it wrong and still be like accepted or whatever then you know gentler smaller other forays in probably makes sense Um, But I think, uh, and reading some Stephen Jenkinson would also be a good idea for somebody who's like in the control realm. Um, But it's it's the most common thing that people are coming here trying to re-relate with. And so, yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, (laughs) some, right? The fact that that is such a common fear means like it is the perfect opportunity to let go of it, right? Well, Um, the sense that you're gonna like let go into death or let go into pain or let go into becoming a weirdo like oh my god what if i what if i let go of control and then all of a sudden i want to buy some birkenstocks and like 
not shave my armpits. Like there's a lot attached to it. And I think like for, even for the people that don't want to let go of the control, I think it'd be really wonderful and exciting um, and potentially like transformative to just talk about um, why, <laughs> what's yeah. the worst that could happen, you know? Yeah. And that was something I had to sit with too, before I did it myself. I had all this fear come up like, and I just had to write about it. I had to talk to my friend about it. It was, it's interesting. I was really scared of the journey, had a lot of fear. And the scariest part was the days before it. (laughs) The fear of the fear, like the anticipation of the anticipation, the fear of the fear is always, I promise anybody listening to this is always worse than whatever it is you actually have to confront. You know, in Tom and Jerry, like in the old cat and mouse cartoons, where like the mouse would sort of run in front of the candle and cast a big shadow on the wall that yeah. was like a monster and scare the cat. Like, that's kind of what I relate it to. It's like, it's this, it's this little mouse. It's like, whatever the, like the monsters in our basements, like what we're really afraid of, we're not afraid of axe murderers. We're not afraid of pandemics even. What we're afraid of is we're afraid of death. We're afraid of not being lovable. We're afraid of not being good enough. We're afraid of not being um, able to do it right. We're afraid of humiliating ourselves. Like the monsters are like shame and, and, and vulnerability. They're not these grander, bigger, weirder memories or, or, or sort of demons. And it's um, yeah, the preparation um, days before it's very common for people to be more anxious then than they are inside the journey. And it's beautiful to watch that softening, to see people realize that there's really nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. There's really yeah. nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> no. And that was like a huge breakthrough during it was like, I'm so glad you got to no have need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, for anyone who's interested in potentially going on a medicine retreat with you, and they're scared of like, I don't know, they they hear things just like what you were talking about before, like all this stigma around psychedelics and all this stuff. Could you briefly share about logistically what it looks like and how they, this is safe for them? <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think, you know, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, um, was a really, I think it was really like, so Rootstock kind of was established coincidentally the same year that that book was published. And, um, and I think that um, there's like a, there's an, a, there's a, there's a value in that book for people that are curious and haven't read it yet, where, um he approached the entire thing as a skeptic and and because of the skepticism that he brought to his exploration there was like this scholarship and this rigor and this deep 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 inquiry that really reveals the scientific statistics and the psychological you know it's like for people that feel a lot of worry about like is this going to kill me is it going to wound me are there things that i is it going to traumatize me um is it going to blow my life up you know to take in the material in that book and if you listen to it on audible he reads it which is a really nice thing to actually like hear him read the book that he wrote um it's it's very 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 grounding in terms of laying out for people like how 
utterly, completely, totally safe this is. Like from like a medical standpoint, from like a emotional health standpoint, this is like one of the safest things that you can do. It's safer than alcohol on, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. It's safer than cannabis from a dispensary. It's like safer than just about any other thing that you can do. And although there's potential for fear and there's potential to do it in settings that could potentially, you know, undermine your well-being, all of that's really avoidable. You know, like preparation, set, setting, dosage, and integration are the five pillars of psychedelic healing. And if anybody, whether they're experienced or not, like, handles those things with a modicum of consciousness, 0.000001% consciousness, you're going to be able to have an experience that may not change the trajectory of your life and therefore all life on earth, but it's not going to do any harm. You know, for me, like I take my job really, really, really seriously. I am like a hyper vigilant person and I am here. I take the risk, right? Like I take a risk every time I talk about it, every time I welcome somebody here. And I take that risk, not because I'm interested in somebody having like the groovy experience of altered state. I'm doing it because I think that it has the potential to like help people reclaim their dignity and their truth and their meaning. And that feels like more important than climate change. It feels more important than wars and, and, and floods and starvation. It feels like the most important thing is to help people be themselves. Um, so when things do go wrong, they can respond from a place of deep grounded authenticity, service, devotion, love, and beauty, you know? And like, from my perspective, like I would never in a million years have given over my life, my home, my land, every day, every breath to being in service to this medicine if I did not trust it fully, you know, in the, in the six plus, maybe seven years, I don't know. And all the years that I've been working, you know, over 430, 440, I don't know, humans have sort of moved through the experience with me. 4,000, 5,000 hours of sitting in ceremony with another, you know, eight to 12,000 hours of preparation and integration this has been like a doctorate. This has been a deep, deep, deep study. And in that time, you know, I can count on one hand, the numbers of times that have felt um, like alarming for me as a practitioner, right? Like somebody didn't tell me about uh, a, a, an ailment that they had or whatever. But for the most part, it's like totally avoidable to have any sort of like drama inside the experience. The drama comes from being humbled. The drama comes from being vulnerable. The drama comes from like going from certain to uncertain, right? Like there's plenty of sort of like leveling scary shit that can happen. None of it is going to sort of render somebody unable to raise their kids, do their job, operate their car, or sort of like put dinner on the table. None of what can come from this experience is gonna make somebody less able to function in the world. I would say like 99.999% of the time, but ask a scientist, they can probably give you a better, <laughs> a better percentage. Yeah, that's so true. I remember thinking like, am I gonna be like this whole different human and not know how to like live in the world after this? And it's really? like- 
no, not really. No, oh, you're going to be the same exact <laughs> you were before. You can come out of a five gram journey and, and have changed nothing if you want, you mm-hmm. know, like it could be a roller coaster. And, and that's how a lot of people do it. You know, I aim higher. I'm aiming deeper. Like I'm doing a different thing here, but like it is, um, you know, cognitive liberty at a time on planet earth when artificial intelligence and chat GPT is like really kind of coming into power. Also, I guess I'm going to get a little soapboxy, like feels really, really important, you know, being in a deep relationship with what your mind is, what your energy is, how your body communicates, how your nervous system communicates, knowing what you are, what you're made of and what is possible is like a fundamental right of a human being. And, you know, as we sort of accept increased um, email marketing from the robots, and as we rely on algorithms in our podcast sort of picking and music selection, um, as we allow for this kind of like artificial um, intelligence to kind of guide and direct what we want and what we think and should we go right or should we go left, it's even more important that human beings can access the source of their truth more now than ever. And so like, if you're afraid of what's in your mind, um, I would say like, that's a great place to sort of like pause (laughs) and, um, breathe and then kind of recognize that like, if you're afraid of what's in your mind, um, what does that mean for all of the people that you're in relationship with and affecting or responsible for like coming out of fear of what's in our mind is I think, uh, like, a like a civic duty on some level. Yeah. we're thinking seven generations forward yeah it's it's the real liberation (laughs) is that yeah Yeah, and it's it's such a good point about the ai stuff and just like the subtle ways of like you listen to this song here's another song you'd like and then you just start like okay you you're like constructing my personality for me sure (laughs) like and it's just it it becomes like much more insidious like it's helpful in ways when you consciously engage with it but if you're not consciously engaging with it it is it's constructing you which is can be a little scary well when you think about it like that that's what's that's literally what's happening and I think so for the you know for the earlier question the people that are feeling like um like the people that are feeling like uh, a need for control I'd be really curious to feel like do they also feel the threat of of AI does that also feel like something taking control from them is that somehow more acceptable than this organic exploration of their own consciousness what's the difference um mm-hmm. and just trying to come into some like more mature conversation about like what are you actually talking about like what's actually underlying that sort of desire you know yeah yeah so true okay I think I'm gonna ask a little bit more of a heady question and then a more grounded question (laughs) I like like the heads up (laughs) um okay so one of the things that I've heard loosely and I've kind of experienced for myself is like you go, you, you do the medicine journey and then, and that's a psychedelic experience on its own. And then obviously after it's the integration period where 
kind of this magic happens. And would you say, I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of what psychedelic is, but would you say like with collaborating with a mushroom in a really reverent way, does reality become in a sober way more psychedelic? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Solid yes. So, I, I mean, here's, I'll try to answer that with like a, maybe like an anecdote, you know, like there is a, there is a woman here years ago who was doing some medicine work in relationship to some body dysmorphia and some bulimia and anorexia. So her relationship with her body and with food was like very complicated. Um, she had gone to school to, and was like a trained chef. So in addition to kind of having like the, like this sort of, you know, she grew up in an Italian family, loved food, went to chef school, got chubby like a good chef should, and then kind of found herself in this other sort of realm. Had never experienced plant medicine before, had a mushroom experience here, and for the first time pulled a carrot out of the ground and ate it with the dirt still on it. Mm -hmm. And it was like this really, um, staggeringly beautiful experience where this person who was in this at war with food all of a sudden got to see like this totally new vector like this totally other story like totally new paradigm of oh my goodness like this is a miracle and she left that experience with this like totally fully embodied understanding, like deep, deep knowing food just wants to love us. And it was like this really incredible moment where um, that one experience of just being in the garden and eating a carrot, seeing how it like eating a cherry tomato for the first time off of a vine, um, all of a sudden like deprogrammed an entire lifetime of drama and, and confusion. And that has never left her. And like, she now sort of like lives in a world where um, she is like in love with the miracle of what it is to grow an organic garden, of what it is to source food from somebody who's growing it with a lot of love. And it was like an instantaneous, totally um, radical paradigm shift. And I think, you know, here at Rootstock, like the, the land here is really alive and very communicative. And, um, you know, one of the things that I invite people to do is talk to the rocks here and talk to the trees and talk to the wind and talk to the raindrops. And, in those communications, and this is off the medicine, so not on psilocybin. When they're on psilocybin, it's a therapeutic session. They're in a bed under a blanket with the eye mask, not moving. Um, but but before the medicine, I invite them to go and commune with non-human entities. And um, a vast majority of the people that I work with leave here and find that the tree that's been outside their office window has been talking to them the entire time that that family of blue jays that they have been like putting food out for like very unconsciously are actually like relaying something that's important or that the ocean is actually sort of singing the song um, that they've been needing to hear like this lullaby and so the world does become more psychedelic when you open your eyes to how the nature is the most amazing thing like how are we even here like what is even happening like this is a a grand 
strange, friendly mystery. And like, you know, to be able to kind of like wash the windows of the eyes in your heart and to, to wake up in the morning and remember that it's a miracle and to walk through the day, like it's a lesson and to get home at night and remember it was a prayer is homecoming. Like this is what we're on this earth to do. And so, yeah, the, the, my goal with the medicine work is not, I don't want people, you know, I definitely have a lot of repeat people. People come either once a year or twice a year or people that are in crisis want to come, you know, like there's lots of ways that people do it. But ultimately, like my goal is like to teach people how to live with the medicine, but also how to live without it. How do you live your life off the medicine? How do you yourself become the medicine, right? And that's, that's the work, you know, that you and your way of seeing the world, your way of touching the wind, your way of eating your breakfast is the prayer. It is the medicine. It is the question and the answer, you know? And, and I think it sounds kind of weird, probably certainly for people that haven't had this kind of mystical experience. Um, but it happens here all the time without the medicine. It happens in the bathhouse. It happens in a moon circle. Um, it happens on a garden club day. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is like the choice, you know, do you want to insist on a magical life? Do you want to mm -hmm. insist on beauty? Do you want to insist on meaning? And if the answer to that question is yes, or maybe yes, um, you know, medicine is a path, but there's lots of other paths. <laughs> um, the world is definitely a very psychedelic place. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, was and I, answer to that question. I <laughs> I was a perfect answer to that question. It wasn't like it was actually pretty grounded for like the what the question was, and I definitely feel that after that experience, um, for me it was like even though you can cognitively understand through whatever spiritual path anyone is on that everything is connected, it's one thing to like cognitively understand that and to like feel it. And to have gone through the experience of like really feeling your connection with the earth, with everything around you, that stays within you after the fact. And so there's this trust of, yes, I'm with the trees. I'm communing with the trees. I'm a part of all of this. They are watching me and I'm watching them. Like we have each other's back. <laughs> Um, so yeah, definitely is more psychedelic if we start to look at things that way. Just the animist perspective in and of itself, you know, that we're, yeah. that, that there are eyes everywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, I think I'll ask two more questions. And the, this one is you also offer a microdosing class and I'm curious, is there, um, are there things that you look for to steer someone maybe more towards microdosing versus um, a medicine journey other than their preference? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like why micro or macro is, is like kind of like a, like a, a pretty common question. You know, I think um, sometimes it's self-selection, you know, sometimes people just themselves have kind of like already decided you know, for me, like the, the macro journey is a, it's a big commitment, right? Like it's an investment of money. It's an investment of time, assuming that you kind of tend the integration with a lot of care and vigilance and, and it's, um, and it's, it's really like staking a claim, right? It's basically saying like, I am opening myself to change, 
Um, in the case of microdosing, it's still true, right? Like there's still that sort of desire to grow and evolve. There's still that willingness um, to, to kind of come into contact with yourself in ways. But there's like a, a gentler, mellower, more patient sort of process with it. You know, I think with microdosing, more often than not, like busy parents or people that are unable to afford uh, the time or money for a retreat, um, people that are pretty disciplined, like if you have some self-discipline and can be quite accountable to an online sort of protocol, um, then the microdosing course is a wonderful path to take, you know? So, so that's some of what I feel into, you know, if somebody's like already got some really healthy practices, they already have a meditation practice, they're already in therapy, they're not like in a crisis in their life. Um, and they're just yearning for more meaning and more, um, expression, the microdosing path is a wonderful way to just kind of like open yourself a little wider. Um, and so those are some ways that I kind of think about it. You know, the, the microdosing protocol that I offer is basically like if you were to take the 36 hour medicine retreat and stretch it out over a season, it's like a three month long ceremony instead of a three day long ceremony. Um, and I think that's makes a lot of sense for some people and not any sense at all for others. Um, a neat thing that I've been experiencing though, is that there are people that are doing the microdosing protocol as preparation for a macro experience. And now there are also people doing the protocol as integration from an experience that they had here or somewhere else. And so it's all very sort of um, complementary and works together. And more often than not, if somebody's going to try one, they're probably going to also try the other. It's quite rare that somebody um, has has success microdosing and isn't a little bit tempted to kind of like dance a little more with the mushrooms and same thing for people that have the big experience for them to want to stay in close relationship and continue to commune without it being like a you know gluttonous kind of endeavor microdosing is a sweet path for that and so I think it really depends on the person and the moment um you know the microdosing course is neat because there's the self-guided component so somebody can just buy it and do it on their own and now I'm also leading immersions, which is really neat because I think one of the things that's been really true about any kind of medicine work, any kind of transformational work is healing is, is, is done better in community. Like having other people on the path, struggling alongside of you, reflecting your wins, you know, like at a girling you like kind of, you know, like doing it together is such a, beautiful thing. And so now I have um, some closed cohorts where I'm basically working with people for the full three months um, through the lens of a season. So basically I'm going to be doing the medicine of the North. Um, I'm kicking it off tomorrow actually for a group of 15 people. And it's basically the microdosing protocol, but through the lens of winter. So how do we actually use the elemental reality of winter, the energetics of winter um, alongside psilocybin? to reveal ourselves and become ourselves. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about it. It feels fun. And I'm starting to kind of gather folks for the medicine of the East, which will explore spring um, starting in April. Oh, wow. So you're planning to do it like every season? Yeah. Well? You know, the more that I, you know, I've been in practice now for about seven years and the community that is Rootstock is just so vibrant and pulsing and alive. And there's quite a lot of people that want to kind of have more sustained 
sort of coaching relationships. And I haven't really had the bandwidth to do it. I haven't really had like the format. Um, but the microdosing protocol is like a really, it's like just, it's the curriculum is so energizing for me. It's so good. Um, and it's so good for me to, to do too. And so this is also, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing it myself and inviting some people to come along with me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a party. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be hard and hard and soft and light and dark and cold and warm and hopefully yeah. uh, really meaningful. <laughs> Okay, so this question, I think will be my last one. And it is one that I'm mostly self interested in. And you described yourself as a new paradigm business coach. And I have so many opinions on like, marrying business and spirituality, and just like all of the distortion that exists in that. And I'm just curious, what do you see in the future of business? Um, I guess, like, what does the new paradigm business look like, the world of that, to you? I I mean, what it looks like to and for me is probably really different than what it looks like to and for anybody else. And so just to kind of put that out there, I think new paradigm is like, there's lots of new paradigms, right? And it's like only kind of limited by your imagination and by your um, I don't know, will <laughs> to create. Um, for me, you know, just to kind of like, for people that are like, what the fuck is a new parrot? What is she even talking about? I mean, just to kind of like speak to it really sort of succinctly, you know, Rootstock is an S corp, right? This is a for-profit enterprise. And I'm the CEO and chief imagination farmer. I'm also the guide. It's also my home. There's this deep integration here where I live, where I work, where I serve, where I'm an activist. Um, And all of it is rooted around community. So there's like this sense of, is this an intentional community? The answer is no. Is it an intentional place where community lives and grows? The answer is yes. Um, And so for me, there's, you know, eight different revenue streams that sort of comprise my business. All of them are connected to some way of being in service to the earth, to humanity, to imagination and to beauty. Um, And all of them kind of work with each other. And so some of the ways that I sort of speak to like the new paradigm that's happening here is I'm sort of making currencies. And by making currencies, I'm not talking about like Bitcoin, but like, for example, like building tiny houses on my land has been a really incredible way of being able to have live-in help. Building a bathhouse, right, has given me a place and incentive where people want to come and be here in ex- to have the experience that I'm offering in exchange for um, you know, doing a little bit of splitting wood. There's a sweet person right now splitting lots of wood for a night on the hill in a bathhouse. Um, mm-hmm. And so these ways of sort of moving out of money and into value, these ways of starting to turn collaboration and co-creation into generative revenue streams, but also value streams is like what I mean when I talk about new paradigm. It's like coming out of the conventional bottom line of profit and shareholders and more into like, do you want to live inside what you created? Is it in service to more than just you? Um, and so with all that said, you know, for me, like, I think like the future of, of this new paradigm business is really um, 
what I'm most thinking about right now is just my own sustainability, like my own capacity. I'm 47 years old. I have been working tirelessly to kind of create my practice and build my homestead and, and get to a place where I can sort of um, now focus on refinement instead of like building. And I am like so honored and excited and like proud of myself for getting there. Um, and now that I'm there, there's this question of like, there's momentum, right? With my work, I have a good reputation as a medicine practitioner. There's a lot of demand. Like, could I go in a direction with that? Sure. Do lots of people want to stay on the land here and experience the bathhouse and the magic that is rootstock? Totally. Could I do something there? Um, you know, I love teaching other people how to create their own realities with their business and their art and their vision. Do I want to have another apprenticeship? You know, there's all of these questions of like, what is the best use of my life force? And I think in a real true new paradigm business in the healing realm or the realm of transformation, staying whole as the leader, staying whole as the center, staying whole as the guide and space holder is paramount, you know? And so like whatever ways you wanna grow, however much money you wanna make, whatever things you wanna amass or, or buy or get, however many staff you think you need to have, like whatever titles, all of that like should come down to these questions of like, do I wanna hold what it is I've made? For how long? Will it be easy to put down when I'm tired of holding it? You know, mm -hmm. like really looking forward in time into it's, you know, like manifesting is not hard once you learn the secrets of how to manifest. Miraculous manifestation is like not like, like super like hardcore witchcraft. Like everybody <laughs> that wants to <laughs> learn how to manifest can do that. Um, uh, you know, like you could teach them. I could teach them. Like we could teach them. It's less about like manifesting and more about like, why are you doing this? How hard do you want to work? Do you want to like, what are you going to do with the money that you make? You know, if you don't know, like, you know, for me, like Rootstock has been the most incredible teacher of, of probably many lifetimes. Rootstock is a profound teacher and parent and friend and elder. And like, I now know like when I make money that it's not about like amassing money. I have no interest in amassing wealth, buying compost, right? Like building a root cellar, like creating space for community to have respite, being able to sort of have a medicine fund where people that cannot afford to be here, but absolutely need to be can come, you know, like what, what, what do I, what hill do I want to live on? And like, what would I die for? And yeah. like making sure that like my work is totally and 100% in service to both of those things. And so mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, for me, like there's, I'm reaching a new level of, of yeah, just maturity with the business. And really like, as I look at 2024, you know, I'm excited for the cohort model of the microdosing course. I love holding space in the medicine retreat the bathhouse is coming into itself. The moon circle is an institution. I don't necessarily need to like make more now. And so mm -hmm. the question is like, what can I call? What can I not? 
what can I hand to other people? What can I not? Um, how much is enough? Yeah, totally. And <laughs> I'm like in the infancy stages of my own solo entrepreneur journey. And one of the things that I'm learning still is I want to have a like life nourishing generative relationship with business. Like I'm not trying to exploit for the sake of just having things or accomplishing things. Like it's, it's got to feed me. It's almost selfish. It's like, I got to feel inspired and actually alive doing it. Otherwise it's empty. It's just like working a nine to five. Like there's no point. So I think a lot of what you said kind of speaks to that. Well, and I think, you know, this idea of selfish, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of like new age narcissists on Instagram right now. There's a lot of charlatans. There's a lot of wealth code light. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, Yes. (laughs) People that want to kind of pretend that like money is somehow meaning. And I think when we really get honest with ourselves, like money is fucking helpful. And to live in the three-dimensional reality and to know how to generate money and to know how to pay taxes on the money and to know how to pay people with your money and to know how to navigate and have books, you know, do your QuickBooks and do all that stuff, critical. And to also have a foot in the fifth dimension where the money is just energy and where is it flowing? You know what I mean? And so to really like never take your finger off the pulse of like, where is the energy flowing? And if the, yeah. you know, rootstock this year um, generated more money than it ever has. And I gave a huge percentage of that to um, all of the amazing people in my like medicine family and in my community that like helped me do it. Like it is one of the most satisfying feelings that I've ever felt. You know, I used to make lots of money and I used to be in charge of lots of money and people and all the things I have. I am not, I have not felt more satisfaction and just like a deep sense of fulfillment than I do right now. in just looking at 2023 and what I've been able to share from my vision And there's no global supply chain, right? Like I'm not buying and selling stuff. I don't go to the post office. I'm, it's literally all ideas and experience. It's amazing um, to have like been so generative, you know, with just a way of living lifestyle medicine, you know? And I think for me, you know, the pandemic was a real grounding moment where I got to see people that I love so much in the restaurant industry in like the general store realm, in these service industries where they were absolutely essential to the well-being of a community and dying with what was asked of them. You know what I mean? Like it was really, really hard for some people in some realms of the world to be able to continue to do what they did in the midst of that sort of corona situation. I had like this moment of really being in deep relationship with like deep gratitude to myself for being selfish, Melanie, for being selfish about what makes me feel creative, what makes me feel powerful, what makes me feel fucking generous. Yeah. If I, if my cup is full, so much becomes possible for the people mm-hmm. around me, for my clients, for my land, for my community. And this year was an example of that. 
I've definitely yeah. had people like sort of like at like like shame me or sort of judge me right for being a certain way or sort of having my sort of intensity and my trajectory and my direction or whatever it has been like the gift of my lifetime to let myself want something bad enough to give it to myself if you're in service to healing if you're in service to love if you are in service to creation be fucking selfish <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Last night I was falling asleep. And sometimes that's when I get like the little downloads. (laughs) And I had like this image of like the multi-tiered fountain with like the little, you know, fountain with the water coming from the top. And then it fills like the top tier and then that overflows to the bottom and then to the bottom. And it's like, yeah, the top tier is like me, like what gives me joy? What fills, gives me energy? And like, from there once that cup overflows it fills like the next tier and then the next tier being the other sort of and I mean you know like trickle down economics revealed itself to not work right so there are (laughs) certain there are certain sort of ways that that could be debunked right that a skeptic could be like but wait um but don't listen to the skeptics and don't worry about um don't worry about that sort of um sense of like you know we're in an age right now where like virtue is kind of like a religion and it's absurd you know like how good people need to sort of act like they are gender race politics you name it right like it's really hard to to just be everybody has to sort of be like in this vigilant way to make sure that everybody else knows that they're good. (laughs) You know what I mean? And there's like all this life force lost in that little dance. And I think, you know, like, again, like being true to yourself, being genuinely, genuinely aligned and in service to what you are here to create. Like for me, I know that like imagination, sowing dream seeds um, helping people compost, like, like, like being in service to beauty and transformation is like, that's what I'm here to do. And so I'm going to do it, even if somebody else thinks that I should be doing something else. And I think that there's a courage that's required in authenticity. And there's a courage that's required in new paradigm work, right? Because it's like, some of what makes it a new paradigm is that nobody's done it before. You're forging your own path. You're creating something that's never been created. Um, And so, you know, that's going to trigger people that don't have the courage yet to do that, or maybe don't understand you. And I think, you know, some of my, my prayers inside my moon circle every month and just in general is like, it's okay if I'm misunderstood, you know, like as, 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 as business women, as business people, start to chart their course into this very weird, very, very complex world. Um, you know, permission is granted to be misunderstood, to be selfish, um, to be radical in your visioning, um, and to f- fail until you succeed. <laughs> Absolutely. That, there's no other way. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. that's great. And so last thing I want to, we've already talked about some of the things that you, that's currently going on and what's getting you excited. It sounds like the microdosing um, 
a course oh, well it sounds like it's live it's happening in person yeah. yeah um and I know that you have the bathhouse and you have moon circles and sun circles and other ceremonies and events um is there anything that you want to share um that you're excited about that's coming in 2024 yeah so this is the first time that I'm sort of speaking it but um a wonderful community member um Druid priest, our friend Al, is going to be offering something here in 2024 called the Stone Circle. So in addition to the Moon Circle and the Sun Circle, we're going to have the Stone Circle. And Al is going to be um, basically like facilitating six ceremonies here along uh, the Druid uh, Wheel of the Year. And so, you know, a lot of the the gatherings that I offer here are pretty intense, you know, moon circle is for women, sun circles for men, community day. These are like kind of mature containers for like people that want to come and sort of really relate in a conscious way. Um, the, the sort of ceremonies that AL is going to be bringing are going to be um, lighter and sweeter and like community members are going to be welcome to bring their children and it's going to kind of like open up a new realm like sometimes we have to like deal with our pain which is like my right, yeah and sometimes we just need to sing to the apple trees um yeah. and so we're bringing in an element of that in the year ahead which I feel really just blessed and lucky about and so there's nothing on the website yet about that but it'll be coming in 2024 and other uh -oh. than that what I would say is you know like the bathhouse is for folks that are kind of like listening to what I'm saying and are like, huh, kind of just curious, but not necessarily wanting to kind of like drop into a circle yet or, or a medicine retreat. The bathhouse is a really um, medicinal and very sort of accessible experience. Like the clothing optional piece is a wonderful way for people to kind of be free in their bodies or to deal with some body image stuff if they want to, but it's a really safe, beautiful space to come and just soften a little bit. Um, and so that happens every Sunday from one to four and you can sign up online. And other than that, you know, for folks that are curious about the medicine work every other Tuesday, I do a zoom and you already mentioned that Melanie, but that's the place. If you're, if you want a book, if you want to learn, if you're, you have a question, come into the Tuesday Zoom and we'll do what we're doing right here and just talk about it and answer your questions. And, you know, if I'm not the right practitioner for you, there's a good likelihood that I might know the person that is. And so wherever you are on the medicine path, um, wherever you are in relationship to consciousness or control, um, happy to talk and we can find, we can find our way. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I can attest. I've I've been to the retreat. I've got I've done the moon circle and some other events in the bathhouse, and it is amazing and worth worth the drive or the trek <laughs> wherever you are. Definitely worth yeah. the trek. <laughs> All righty. Well, it was such a pleasure, Bina. I love this conversation so much, and I feel like we need to have it again. <laughs> at some point get into it. some more heady topics <laughs> I'm so grateful for you Melanie the work that you do and just your beautiful spirit thank you so much for bringing curiosity and giving me a chance to share a little of what's in my heart and I appreciate it so much of course okay well thank you all for listening and have a sweet day